0: Friends, thank you for tuning in to the weekly City Church San Francisco podcast. Throughout the fall of 2020, on this podcast, we'll be taking a look through the Bible at what happened to people when things fell apart in their worlds, sort of like what many of us are experiencing right now. We're calling this fall series When Things Fall Apart because, well, things feel like they're falling apart. So let's talk about it. We invite you to lean into these stories each week to embrace the intersections. Where these ancient stories collide with our current collective world and our own personal lives. As always, we thank you for being a part of City Church Online through this podcast. And we invite you to join us live each Sunday at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch. Thanks. The scripture reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapters 18. Twenty-one. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of the Mamre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf he had prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid he said oh yes you did laugh the lord dealt with sarah as he had said and the lord did for sarah as he had promised sarah conceived and bore abraham a son in his old age at the time of which god had spoken to him abraham gave the name isaac to his son whom sarah bore him and abraham circumcised his son isaac when he was 8 days old as god had commanded him Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now, Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The word of the Lord.
1: pray gracious god we ask today that you would meet us here that you would help us to believe that this moment has been arranged by you that you see us you know us you know us in all of our contradiction and all of our good and bad and getting it and not getting it fumbling and bumbling and soaring to the heights you see it all and your response is always love always And so give us grace to believe that in a new and fresh way today that we might have, as Sarah has, a transformed laughter in the midst of this difficult time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember the trip well. It was the last time my dad came to visit out here in San Francisco. It was around 2001. He was in the throes of cancer. Uh, Only two years later would die and was just miserable and exhausted the whole time he was here. So it was a, it was a great effort on his part to come out, but it was uh, maybe a misguided idea because he was just not doing well. But the one thing from that trip that he would remember for years to come, well, the next two years of his life that we would talk about for years, is the experience he had at Fisherman's Wharf. So I don't know if you've encountered the bushman at Fisherman's Wharf. Apparently there are two, one of which died a few years ago, but there's still a bushman happening from what I understand. And it's a man who very simply takes a huge piece of shrubbery, maybe some big branches from a eucalyptus tree, and hides behind them. And as people walk by, he jumps out at them and scares them. And this made my dad laugh so hard. (laughs) he thought it was the most hilarious thing he'd ever seen and i went up to him and i encountered him and he was just dying laughing and and like about to fall off the bench and i was like what what he caught his breath he's like watch this guy and then i watched and i laughed and then i saw my mom coming down and he's like no 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 don't say a word don't say a word (laughs) and my mom almost had a heart attack but uh, that may speak to their marriage but that's another story for another day um The thing about that that was so interesting to me was, is that even though dad was miserable and felt horrible the whole time he was here, whenever I would talk to him after that, all he could remember about that trip was the Bushman and how funny that whole thing was. That's the power of laughter. He was really sick, but all he remembered was laughing. This is a story today about laughter, Sarah's Laughter. I'd say an unexpected laughter in the midst of broken dreams and promises. You know, what is laughter? Believe it or not, people actually study these things. Sociologists and anthropologists, and I think it's fascinating, says that laughter happens as a result of two things coming together. And if there's anybody who hates reducing things like laughter to just two points, I am one of them. But at least these two are involved. One is the element of surprise, that's not a surprise to anybody, but the second is some kind of incongruence of some port, some kind. So an incongruity like a big humongous man crouching down behind a bush, that's funny, but it gets even funnier when you add on surprise. That's why we laugh according to those who study these kinds of things. I'm reminded of the brilliant Charles Schultz and the Peanuts cartoons and poor Charlie Brown. And Lucy, and you know, there's that one scene that comes up repeatedly where Charlie Brown is always wanting to kick a football. And he's trusting that Lucy's going to hold the football just right. And then he comes in as hard as he can, and he goes to kick the ball. She moves the ball. He flies through the air, lands on his back. It's congruity, incongruity, and then surprise. And we all laugh, even though we still know it's coming. And then there's that one time when Lucy takes the ball away and Charlie falls on the ground again. And then Lucy says this, your faith in human nature is an inspiration to all young people. (laughs) I love that. And we laugh, right? There's a little bit of an edge, though, in that as well, because you kind of get Lucy's cynicism, you know, we kind of nod in agreement that Charlie is just a little too naive because the world each day feels like the ball is being removed just as we're about to kick it. Sarah felt that way in her life. Sarah first, we've encountered her in this passage today laughing cynically at the incongruous prospect of someone her age having a baby. She says, me as old as I am having a baby? It's cynical. It's cynical. There's no surprise here because she has heard this nonsense about having a baby at her advanced age before. She'd heard it 24 years ago, to be exact. When Abraham first heard about it, he laughed too. And now here we are 24 years later. And as we looked at last week, a lot of other things have gone under the bridge during that 24 years. They got sick of waiting, Abraham and Sarah, so they tried to arrange their own way of having a baby through Sarah's slave girl, Hagar. So there's a lot of water that's gone under the bridge for Sarah to have heard about this idea many years ago, and now to hear it again, well, all she can do is laugh cynically. I mean, pay attention to the kind of language that Sarah uses, and you begin to tap into her deep, and I'd say understandable cynicism, with a dose of self-loathing thrown in. In verses 11 and 12, now say Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? After I've grown old. Now a number of translations would simply say well that don't translate that just as simply a chronological kind of word, like old. It's more like worthless or worn out or no good. Now that I'm worthless, now that I'm old, shall I have pleasure, she asks. Hear all the self-loathing, all the I'm not worthy in that. Nobody cares about me anymore. I'm forgotten by most people. I'm not of much use. That's how she feels about herself. And she says, shall I have pleasure? She's talking about sex, sexual pleasure. I'm menopausal. My husband hasn't touched me in years. None of that's happening in our relationship. I'm not even desirable. There's a lot going on in Sarah's words there. And that's what's coming up for her right now. My ship has sailed. I'm damaged goods. And I've lost track of how many times God comes to people who feel exactly this way about themselves, and God has a bigger story and a bigger life that God invites them to embrace. And then ending the reading of chapter 18, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall i indeed bear a child now that i'm old but sarah does something interesting she lies (laughs) she denied it saying i did not laugh she was afraid and god said oh yes you did laugh i love how gently god deals with her i mean sarah has a face to face with god and what does she do she laughs in god's face and then lies to god and god's response is to in some ways ignore her cynicism, to comb out the scoffing, and just simply say, oh yes, you did laugh. And like every good teacher, God asks a question, and it's not for information, but instruction. And it might be the biggest question any person has to answer, especially in the midst of a pandemic. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord Is anything too wonderful? That's God's response. Notice God did not respond in this passage to say, Is anything too hard for me to pull off? No, the word wonderful is such an accurate translation. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Because Sarah's laugh, and maybe yours right now, I don't know, is devoid of wonder, it's devoid of curiosity. It's, and I would emphasize, understandably, I'm not throwing Sarah under the bus. It is understandably um, a, a a laugh that's lost a capacity to think beyond what's right in front of her. There's no thinking of maybe something beyond this existential moment could take place here and now if God is actually involved. We might say that for Sarah, the world has lost its enchantment. Friends, I want to ask you a question. Have you seen My Octopus Teacher? That's what I said. My Octopus Teacher on Netflix? Just Google it sometime. It just came out, I think, in the last week. A man, Craig Foster, has lost his way in the world. Life has become tasteless. In an effort to regain his perspective, he swims off the coast of South Africa, his childhood swimming grounds in the midst of an underwater kelp forest, forest. And there he meets an unlikely teacher, an octopus. And he visits her den and tracking her movements every day for months on end, and eventually wins the animal's trust, and they develop a rarely, rarely seen bond between human and wild animal. There are probably a thousand sermon illustrations from this experience life lessons abound I can't recommend it enough but through it all what really happened is is that Craig Foster regained his sense of wonder the universe was enchanted again side note you may never eat octopus again and keep tissues nearby as you watch this show this documentary have you lost wonder during the pandemic The fires, the political turmoil, the injustices. I mean, we know what wonder is, right? We have it as children. It's the kind of thinking we have to unlearn over time or perhaps have it stolen from us through childhood trauma because we wonder naturally as little kids. Little children can stare at things forever. But over time, we start to lose it. Life happens. Can we ever wonder again because laughter without wonder is bitter it's possible to grow older and have a transformed laughter filled with wonder I believe that is it possible that you have to you don't have to put up with a jaded cynical existence and to watch wonder begin to grow in your life again I think it is we're going to suffer it's going to shape us we will become better or bitter closed or open, more ignorant or more aware. We will become more or less tuned in to the thousands upon thousands of gifts we are surrounded with every single moment of every single day. This too will shape us. The only question is how. It depends on how you answer this question. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? How will you answer that to have a transformed laughter? Because that's what Sarah moves towards. That's the second thing, and the way you answer that is really important, because if you say there is something too wonderful for the Lord to do, I believe you cut yourself off from endless possibilities. Your universe is shut down. You cut yourself off from hope. Nadia Bowles-Weber was asked recently to preach on unprecedented hope, and she decided that she could only preach unprecedented hope she said it this way i realized this week that my struggle with knowing what to say about unprecedented hope was not about the hope part after all it was all about the unprecedented part because for it to be a hope on which i can truly rely it has to be a hope for which there is indeed a precedent it has to be a hope that has been worn smooth by the tears and prayers and struggle of our ancestors in faith, through Sarah's laughter and Hagar's steps and Mary's labor. For it to be a hope in which I can trust, it can't be unprecedented. It must be already established in those who came before me by Martin Luther and Fannie Lou Hamer and Marsha P. Johnson. Those who have come before us have already lived through pandemics and social upheaval and loss and grief and death and labor pains, which means we are never alone in our struggles. That has never mattered more to me than it does now. So when things fall apart, we look to those who went before us as a means of support so that we might still believe that the universe is benevolent, that things are headed towards integration and love, And have imaginations that are kept curious for a lifetime, believing sometimes against all odds that God is basically, excuse me, that God is radically free to keep God's promises despite all the odds against it. But chapter 18 kind of leaves us hanging, doesn't it? We don't really know what happens next if we just stop there. It doesn't resolve itself. We have to go to chapter 21 for that, and we read about the birth of Isaac. And here we have Sarah with a transformed laughter. And the reason it's transformed is because she sees herself as a radical recipient of God's grace. Some way and somehow the entire field of vision has changed for Sarah. She says, God brought me this laughter. This is what Isaac means. He laughs. God has to bring it. God has to do it. And Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have ever said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Listen to Sarah. She's a very different person now. Walter Brueggemann put it this way in his um, commentary. Laughter is a biblical way of receiving a newness which cannot be explained. The newness is sheer gift. Underived, unwarranted. Baredness has now become ludicrous. It can now be laughed at because there is full joy. I wonder right now, as you hear that, if you don't think of what newness has come to your life in the last five months, share it in the chat with the rest of us if you feel so led. What newness, what unexpected newness has popped into your life during these months? She has a new wonderment about her own self and how she understands herself. This is actually a key way of knowing of whether you really become awake to the already present grace of God in your life and all around you. You begin to develop a sense of humor about yourself. Shelley Williams is a United Methodist pastor in Texas, and she wrote about this passage this way. She said, Maybe laughter is our grace-filled way of getting out of ourselves and realizing that, as ludicrous and unbelievable as it may be, God's promise holds. Maybe it's our way of admitting once and for all that we don't have it all figured out, that in all honesty, we don't even have ourselves figured out, that there's a whole new identity just waiting for us to claim. You know, most people have to get really old before they had this kind of wonderment, this transformative laugh. So why not start practicing now? Sarah goes on to say, quote, and everyone who hears will laugh with me, but the commentators will tell you. She's not necessarily saying laugh with. She's saying people are gonna laugh at me. And that makes sense. This is a 90-some-year-old, odd-year-old person nursing a child. But Sarah doesn't care because Sarah is now a free person. Sarah no longer lives based on the approval and opinion of others. She knows she's living in a world filled with enchantment and wonder and the grace of God. Sarah is no longer defined by a false identity of being less than in any way, and she is therefore free. My pastor friend Danny Prada said this recently in one of his sermons. Anything you take personal is revealing a false identity you are holding on to. Anything you take personal, think about that, is revealing a false identity, a false attachment, something that's less than really you. Sarah is shedding her false identities. She lives knowing she is now on the inside of God's, has been the whole time of God's love, and has been her whole existence, but has awakened to it Finally. She names her child, he laughs, and has a sense of humor about herself as she says, who would have ever said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Now someone says right now, well, that's fine for Sarah, but how can this ever happen to me? Yet I, Sarah says, could I ever be someone who says, yet I am a recipient of that grace? Yet, that's what it means to be a Christian as your understanding of yourself gets rewritten. Of all people, will I ever be able to say, yet I tasted of God's grace. Yet I, God has come to me now. How hard is it for you to say that? How hard is it for you to even imagine saying it? Because it's possible that someone is saying, that's all good, Fred, but maybe you're here today and you're dealing with infertility. And the pain and the unique challenge that that is. And I have walked with many people, many couples over the years with that unique and challenging pain. You're saying, I'd like to laugh too, but I don't have a child. Sarah got a child. Put it in there, whatever it is that you don't have. Job, been praying for a job for a long time. Spouse, how about a spouse? I've been looking for a spouse for a long time about money? I'm exhausted for being poor. about a decent report from my own doctor who keeps giving me bad news about my health? You know, I'd, I'd like one of those. If I had that, I could laugh too, Fred. And here's what I will respectfully submit. Those are all 100% valid. And yet, we need more than those things. Sarah needs more. I need more. We need something greater than a job a child or a spouse or financial security as good and understandable as it is that we should have these in our life i'd make the case today that we need, we need the true and greater isaac the son of laughter isaac points to another jesus himself in the gospel of luke in chapter one a divine figure comes to another woman mary and tells her that she's going to be giving birth I mean, look for the parallels between this event and what we've just looked at in Genesis 18 to 21. It says in Luke chapter 1, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have been found favored with God, and now you will conceive her in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and hear this sentence for nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. And that story tells us that the resolve of God is not based on Mary's response. It's not based on Abraham and Sarah's response. The resolve of God to pursue them And to keep God's promises, not only in their life, but in your life, continues. In fact, I would say the reason that you're engaged in this online service right now is because of the resolve God has to act on your behalf, with or without your belief, with or without your faith, to put you here right now for this very second. Can you begin to entertain that notion? And to continue, God does, to pursue you in love. And that's exactly what he does with them. Don't miss it. For nothing will be impossible with God. Same exact kind of language. As nothing is too wonderful for the Lord. Abraham and Sarah would have no way of knowing just how wonderful God will act in taking on flesh and blood in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. They would have no story of a God who left heavenly laughter, what we would call eternal, inner inner Trinitarian delight, to become a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who would show us a new way of being human, who would deal a death blow to death and futility and to break through the grave itself and to call you into that same resurrected life. If you can somehow access that, if you can believe that that, that reveals just how much God is for you, especially when life is unraveling and falling apart, you might experience unexpected, transformed laughter. Can you believe that always, always God gets the last laugh, and that laugh is grace? Let us pray. Gracious God, help us today in the midst of our anxiety and disappointment and fear in the midst of our liminal space not knowing how it's going to turn out not knowing how we're going to get by that you and your kindness and grace have led us today to see this particular story where we see a person who goes from a cynical to a transformed laughter in the midst of many broken dreams and promises would you grant that to us would you help us to trace all of this to the work you've done in your son Jesus would you fill us with a sense of humor that has a divine origin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.